guys, I'm so proud of you guys, man. Certainly, right, the yeah. resilience of everybody in this room, that's the games that build you to do special throughout the year. Yeah. Guys, 2-0, man, all right? Certainly. We've gone on these back-to-back -back road trips. This is our sixth time now, all right? We're 6-0 in those games. Hey, smoke is in steps in direction, lead to great results. No, you're right. Hey, we're on our way there, baby, 2-0. Welcome to the 49ers Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 43 of the podcast. The San Francisco 49ers are now 2-0. Got a victory in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, 17-11 over the Philadelphia Eagles. It wasn't pretty to a certain degree. wasn't fun. But they got the win, 17-11, finished the East Coast road trip 2-0. You heard Kyle Shanahan to open the show. These are the games that build upon the season. They make you successful. They're games to learn from. Games to look back and go, maybe that wasn't the prettiest one, but we're happy because that win was so important to our season. Again, it wasn't the prettiest win, but it was a win nonetheless. It's all that really matters and today we're going to look at the defensive side of the ball, the offensive side of the ball, what was good, what was bad, what we need to see from this team, what concerns me going forward into the season, into week three, into week four against better teams on the schedule. So let's start with the defense today. I mean, out of all the concerns of whether Demeco Ryans can be a good defensive coordinator, can he... Can he follow up Robert Sala and the job he did from 2019 to 2020, even before that, but those were his two most successful seasons with the team? I think those questions are now gone. And I I want to say that, but I want to put kind of an asterisk by it because it's, again, only two games into the season. Uh, play the Detroit Lions, a rebuilding team, a team with a new head coach, a new system, a new quarterback, very similar to what the Eagles are doing. The Eagles... Brand new head coach, brand new system. Uh, same quarterback as last year, but a second-year quarterback. Still trying to acclimate himself to the NFL. And these were two games to kind of judge where the team is. Judge where the team you know, is at this point in the season. What they need to improve upon. And what they're really good at. And I want to start early in the game. Because I'm sure like many of you, like I said 30-20. Like, this game's going to be 30-20. to 20. The Niners are going to come in. They're going to want to assert their dominance over the Eagles simply because how the Detroit game ended. And I thought San Francisco had all the talent in the world to do so. I figured that, uh, well, again, I had questions about how was, how was Elijah Mitchell going to play and how the running game was all going to kind of plan out. Like, there was, like, picking San Francisco to win was easy in this game, but I don't think really anybody knew it was going to be kind of be a 17 to 11 style game. Um, most games are not 17 to 11 uh, when they reach their final. Um, but the Eagles early in this game were moving the football. Uh, Jalen Hurts, again, I don't think he's a world beater, but he is a fine quarterback. I followed him from Alabama to Oklahoma. I'm, I'm a big Oklahoma Sooner fan, um, so I feel like I know Jalen Hurts pretty well. Um, Again, 
I don't think he's a world beater. I think he's a bottom 20 quarterback in the NFL, but he's serviceable. Uh, if you want a quarterback that can win you a couple games a year, uh, I think Hurts is that guy. I think he has potential. I think he can learn. Um, and I think he's doing so. Like, there are times where he'll flash and times where he'll struggle. And early in this game, uh, those were the times where he was kind of quote-unquote flashing where uh, he was slinging it around. Like, there was there was a point where you can tell he had the confidence in his arm, in his offense, where uh, he was going to make the Niners' defense beat him. And that's the confidence you want out of a young quarterback. And, and Hertz was showing that. Uh, he was throwing the ball all around. He was throwing deep balls. He, he, he was not afraid to push the ball against San Francisco's defense. And without Verrett, without Mosley, who didn't play again, like there was no reason not to test them. Like, test Norman, who hasn't, you know, played, did, didn't have a training camp, didn't have preseason, see what he can do, or, you know, try to get a score early off this Niners defense, and test Lenore. Like, just because you had one good game as a rookie doesn't mean you're going to have two, especially consecutively. Uh, so, I, I think the the game plan going into the game for Philadelphia was, uh, let's see what San Francisco has in the secondary, attack it, and try to expose it. That's what I said Going into the week in the podcast on uh, on Thursday was that, look, like, the Eagles are going to want to exploit San Francisco's weaknesses, and that is the secondary. Or at least it was, <laughs> because uh, Josh Norman looked great out there. A couple defensive pass interference calls, I think, kind of shabby. You know, they weren't really... The one in the end zone especially... Was it was like okay, like the the guy's playing physical. Though even the one early in the game, the guy Norman's playing physical defense. Those aren't flags, um, and I understand like that's kind of how the game is called nowadays. But I think that's kind of a ref by ref basis. Like I don't think every ref is making that call. I don't think every you know referee crew is making that call, and I think Norman looked like the presence you want out of a veteran who is tasked with filling in a role of an elite-level player like Verrett. Um, and Lenore, again, two weeks in a row, and you know the Lions receiving group isn't the greatest, and Philadelphia, I think, is better. You know They have Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager. Uh, they have some guys, but they didn't do anything. <laughs> like, Norman and Lenore had great games. Um, and, and Lenore looks like one of the best rookie cornerbacks drafted in the past couple of years from San Francisco. Um, he's far better than Weatherspoon, uh, at least so far. He, he looks, again, someone mentioned Ahmed Plummer. I don't want to go that far yet because you, you need to do it consistently, but uh, someone also mentioned Trail Brown from Texas a couple years ago during the Harbaugh years. I, I thought that was a good one. Um, but Lenore looks really good. Like, and, and Mark Schlereth made a good point about this, was that he's playing like a veteran. Like, he said that he had spatial awareness uh, when Rager, uh, that early in the game, Niners are struggling, uh, Philadelphia's kind of marching down the field. Like, Lenore knew Rager stepped out of bounds. And so, like, he knew he had space on the inside and could be a little more physical there, and he forced him outside. Like, like that's what a veteran quarterback do, uh, cornerback does when facing a team that seemingly is having success against your defense and the offense is struggling. And that's a promising thing. Like when a kid from the Pac-12, which is notably doesn't produce many top-end cornerbacks, or at least in recent history hasn't, uh, is coming in and playing like a veteran cornerback, 
with a team that has lost one elite veteran cornerback and doesn't have Emmanuel Mosley, who is a solid CB2 in the NFL, like, those are promising things. And yes, Hurts did beat him with a deep ball, 91-yard TD pass. Like, Lenore just got beat. And I don't want that one play, despite being an important play, despite, uh, like, this game, if the game had ended, uh, or, or take that play away, okay? This game is 17-4. to <laughs> Like, that's... That's that's kind of how crazy this game was. Like, if you take that one 91-yard deep ball that Lenore got beat on, uh, the Hurts touchdown, uh, Jalen Hurts, who had 191 yards in the game, uh, take that one play away, he only had 91 yards. Like, this, like Philadelphia, despite maybe, maybe people coming away from this game saying, like, wow, you know, San Francisco's defense wasn't that good. Like, oh, wow. Or, or the, there's kind of being concerns of, like, Philadelphia stuck with us the entire game. Like, the final score might say that, but the second half does not speak to that whatsoever. Uh, the the last completion Philadelphia had to a wide receiver that entire game, seven minutes and 12 seconds left in the second quarter. Like, as soon as the seven-minute mark hit in the second quarter, like, it was all Niners. And that may be... It may be hard to see that simply because, again, the final score was 17-11. to 11, But San Francisco, what they were able to do on defense to Philadelphia was... It's not surprising because this defense is really good and has been for a few years. But I think it was more so... Of, it's just not noticeable. Like, yes, they had a couple big plays. Um, they had the fourth and goal uh, on their own, like, one-yard line. They stuffed Hurts. They got a big tackle behind the line of scrimmage. And then the Philly special on fourth down. Kalen Williams, great coverage. Uh, Eric Armstead, good job kind of filing out and going after Hurts. Like, they were big plays in this game. The blocked kick by Javon Kinlaw. Like, they were big plays in this game made by the defense. But because the final score was so close... If you're not paying attention to the game, and not even to an in-depth level, but just more so to of, like, you know, having the anxiety of, like, we're going to lose, this game is really close, it's kind of a nail-biter, like, this game is a one-score game late into the fourth quarter, like, what are we going to do, like, are we going to pull this out? The defense looked phenomenal. Like, that's, that's like, the, the one of the biggest positives here is the defense. And I get it is... The Philadelphia Eagles, who, again, I've talked poorly about Jalen Hurts, and, uh, I mean, not poorly, but uh, haven't spoke highly of him. <laughs> and uh, while I don't think their offense is what it used to be with Wentz and when Hurts was in his prime and they had other guys there, like, what happened on Sunday shouldn't be overlooked, is what I'm trying to say. Like, Lenore looked great. Norman looked great. What Demeco Ryans was able to do in his debut versus a mobile quarterback. Like, that was a key to the game. Like, how was Demeco Ryans, after witnessing Robert Sala, go up against Kyler Murray, uh, Russell Wilson, and have his struggles at not being able to contain those guys? How was he going to scheme and game plan for Jalen Hurts, the first guy he's going to see? And, again, I will say it clearly, like, I do not think the world of Jalen Hurts, he's a great guy, he's a great person, he's a good leader, uh, but I don't think he's a world beater by any means. And... 
I think this was a good first test. You know, it's like uh, when you're a child, you don't start running. You, you take your baby steps, take your walk. Uh, you kind of, you crawl on the ground a little bit. And then you progressively become an adult and a toddler and an adolescent. And you, and you begin to run and walk and sprint and all that stuff. Like, this was the baby step. This was the very first step for Demeco Ryans. And if you left this game thinking that he can't scheme for a mobile quarterback, like, I just can't help you. Like, he did, he did a great job. And, again, that doesn't mean there aren't things to work on. Like, J- Jalen Hurts still had 82 yards on the ground, had a one-yard touchdown quarterback sneak, and there were plays late in the game where he did gash the defense twice. And, granted, one was a, you know, kind of a BS Jimmy Ward or uh, you know, unnecessary roughness penalty. But, again, like, there are positives to take away. Like, 82 yards on the ground, like... The defense today gave up 151 yards rushing. Stat line says a lot, right? And that is a lot. You never want to give up, you know, half 300 yards rushing. And 5.2 yards on the ground. That's not good. Like, that's... The stat line will tell you that's not good. But Miles Sanders, 13 carries, 55 yards, 4.2 yards on the ground for average. Kenneth Gainwell, 6 carries, 14 yards, 2.3 yards for average. The longest was 10 for Sanders, longest for Gainwell was six. They didn't do much. Like, that's 69 yards. Great number. Um, but that's 69 yards. Like, that's not good. At all. That's that's really bad. <laughs> and without Hurts, who had 82 yards and 8.2 yards on the ground for average in a touchdown, like, this game on the ground was commanded by San Francisco, at least from the defensive side of the football. And again, only ten, you know, ten rushes for eighty. Like that's, I will take that as a baby step because it means there was a lot of really good, a lot of containment, and a lot of bad, and or at least some bad that can help you improve when you have to go against a Russell Wilson or a Kyler Murray. And there were things in this game where you can sit back and go like, okay, like. What are the boxes we need to check as a team that I can you know, leave week two saying, I'm comfortable putting this player here. I'm comfortable calling this play here. And again, it's a baby step. Like, you don't start running. But now once they play Russell Wilson, once they play Kyler Murray, you can feel a little more comfortable because then you know what works, what doesn't work, who you can play where, which, which plays work which cornerback you want to play in this certain area, in this certain time of the game. And I called last week, I said the Lions in the Eagles game are cupcake games. And that is true. And unfortunately, these games didn't maybe end as easy as we'd like them to end as Niner fans. But there are still things to take away from a cupcake game. You can take away, again, what works, what doesn't work. How can we scheme for different quarterbacks? How can we prepare for different offenses? And... This was like kind of the perfect culmination of like what we, being the Niners and Demeco Ryans, what should we be looking out for? And again, a lot of great things. The fourth and one block on the Philly special, great job by the defense, changed momentum in this game. Uh, again, Philadelphia's marching. You're wondering like, oh my God, like, are we going to go down 10 nothing? Are we going to go down, you know, 14 nothing, whatever the score was at the point? And you're kind of sitting there like worrying, like, are, like, we're going to go down early against this team, and we're going to have to fight our way back. And I mentioned that last week. Like, I would not be surprised if this team was down early in this game. 
simply because there is that adjustment period. And David Lombardi mentioned this from The Athletic. He was like, look, there's going to be a feel-out process. And I think myself, to a certain point, did neglect that. I thought, okay, San Francisco has faced Murray and Wilson. Like, they're going to know what a mobile quarterback looks like. Uh, and there might be some big plays early, and there was. Again, the 91-yard touchdown from Hurts, you know, for a TD. Um, again, like, there were times where Philadelphia could have easily scored, and the defense stepped up in the biggest way. Again, that, that fourth down stop with the Philly special, the block cake to kind of change momentum. Like, there there were things they did that impacted this game and changed the momentum immensely. Like, this game could have got out of hand, but because of that defense, because of the scheme, because of what Demeco Ryans did, because of what the playmakers have or did on defense, it changed, like, it changed the game. And that should be something that we take away from this game, where it's like, look, like, despite how much... Or how many people were you know, wanting Trey Lance to play because Garoppolo was struggling, despite how maybe uh, the running game just, just wasn't working. The defense is the biggest positive of this game, and Nick Bosa had a handful of sacks. Nick Bosa already has one third of the sacks he had in 2019. He had nine. He's three already in two games. Like. Uh, <laughs> Talking about comeback player of the year, like Nick Bosa's back. And while the pressures may not be there, like uh, you may see him build it up over time. And of course, it's only week two. You have to continue success. Like there's a lot of pos- a lot of positives to take away from this game. And the defense is a big one for sure. Um, th- there were some questions to me about the pressure. Like the pressure wasn't consistent. D Ford had like none. Uh, arms that didn't have many. Uh, I witnessed Kevin Givens get destroyed by a defense, by an offensive lineman, <laughs> like, and Kevin Gibbons is a big man, he was physically f- pushed back five yards by a left guard today, uh, Brandon Brooks, before he got hurt, like, I witnessed it, and I looked at my friend, and I go, what, <laughs> like, uh, I've never seen Kevin Gibbons get pushed back that far before, um, and the defense, again, it, the way the game kind of worked was, as the game went on, the Niners on both sides of the ball progressively got better. Uh, now, to how much? That's up for debate. I will say the defense got a lot better later in the game um, and kind of tightened some screws. Again, got tired late. Uh, there was no doubt. Like the, That final drive at Philadelphia where they did score that touchdown and two-point conversion, Like they, like they, it was very clear that the defense was exhausted. Like, Javon Kinlaw running behind Jalen Hurts, like, just, like, jogging because he's exhausted. Like, you can see there was, there was, uh, like, they were just tired. They Simply put, they were like, look, we're gassed. We've been working our butts off all game. It's Kinlaw's first game back from injury. Uh, and a rather serious one, that being the knee he had. And that, like, the knee has lingered since he was at South Carolina. Like, they drafted him knowing he had the knee injury. And so, like, for him to do, go out there and ball like he did, like, that's big stuff. And, again, while the numbers won't necessarily tell you this, like, the Niners' defense, run defense was better today. It was much better against Philadelphia than it was against Detroit, simply because of what Sanders and Gainwell couldn't do on the ground. Now, Hurts, again, got to improve that. Got to learn from what he did today and contain guys like Murray Wilson and other quarterbacks going forward, but... Like there, there was a lot of good, and going back to the pressure, 
like where was the pressure? Like it wasn't consistent, and that is a worry of mine because playing Green Bay next week again, the, the Niners do get some help not having to face David Bakhtiari. Like that's a good sign for Bosa and Ford and Armstead and Ebukam. Um, but playing Seattle, who did lose today, so it feels kind of nice that they are the last place team in the NFC West. Uh, Cardinals almost lost today too. The Rams almost lost today. Like there really wasn't any pretty games. The only difference was they scored a lot, but their defense, like the Vikings scored a lot on Arizona. The Colts scored a lot against the Rams. Tennessee scored a lot against Seattle. Like there were a lot of games where it was like, okay, like, well, our game was ugly. Like their game wasn't pretty either, but Going against guys and quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, if they're not getting consistent pressure, if they're not able to contain mobile quarterbacks in somewhat in Rodgers' case, or guys who can just beat you with their legs uh, at certain uh, pivotal points in the game, like a Matthew Stafford in, in Los Angeles, like that, that is a fear going forward. Where if Bosa can't get to the quarterback or is being held a lot or isn't getting much help from the opposite side of the defensive line. Like, D4 was non-existent today. And again, I think everybody will give D4 some slack because he was coming back from a career-threatening injury and battled his way back, gave you a great week one, and you're hoping that maybe he isn't present in every single game, but he's present in 10 games this year where he has one or two sacks, a ton of pressure. Like, you'll take that from D4. Um... But Armstead didn't do much. Ebukam did a few things, but not too much either. Uh, their interior def- uh, defensive line didn't start getting pressure until later in the game when Brandon Brooks was taken out because of injury in Philadelphia. And again, the game goes on. You guys get tired. Both sides kind of... Uh, both sides take a slip somewhat, and you can you know capitalize on that. Uh, but when it comes to Kyler Murray, and I'm sure you've all seen him, like what Kyler Murray is doing in the backfield for Arizona. Like, that... We've never seen that. (laughs) Like, when you do... Like, I don't know if you played Madden, and I don't want to compare Madden to the real NFL, but, like, he's doing Madden-esque things. Like, go back to Madden, like, 2011, where, like, you can, like, be a kick returner and just run back and forth until, like, half of the defenders are on one side just run past all of them. Like, that's what he's doing. He's just running back and forth, evading every single tackle, and then, like somehow finding open space, and there's, like, a random receiver down the field. Like, his throw to Rondell Moore today was insane. Like, what he was doing last week against Tennessee was insane. Like, Kyler Murray's taking the next step, and, like, his stat line today, 80% completion percentage against the Vikings. Again, not a great defense, but a good enough one. 400 yards through the air, three touchdowns, two picks, Again, two picks, it's not what you want, but with a quarterback like him, they're going to take risks. They're going to put points on the board. But even last week, 289 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Like, his season so far, he's completing 73.5% of his passes. Almost already 700 yards in two games. Seven TDs, a rating of 121.5. Like, he's on pace to break every single career record he has so far for himself. And Russell Wilson. We all know Russ. I'm unlimited. Like that guy. Like, he's completing 74% of his passes this year. 
And again, like that pace will probably diminish somewhat as the year goes on. Guys get off to a hot start. He got off to a really hot start last year and fell off towards the end of the year and was a part of the reason they didn't win that playoff game. But 254 yards last week, four touchdowns, no picks. Today against Tennessee in a losing effort, 71 comp percentage, 343 yards, and two TDs. Like, these guys, Murray Wilson, like, if we can't get pressure against them, it forces our secondary, which admittingly doesn't have our elite cornerback. If Mosley can play, then that's great. He's a CB2 at best right now. I don't trust him to guard Hopkins. I don't trust him to guard DK Metcalf. Like, he has been physically brutalized by Metcalf over and over and over again. Um, I, like, if the pressure isn't there and Bosa and Ford can't get in there and Armstead and Ebukam can't generate pressure against, or they can't keep contain against these guys, like, we are going to get blown out at least one game. And it's going to be a wake-up call. It's going to be one of those games where we all go like, oh, like, we saw this coming, and, and all the Twitter hounds are going to go, see, see, I told you. And, like, that's fine. Like, pay your dues. Like, it has to happen at some point, right? Like, the Miami game last year was humbling for a variety of reasons, and that's maybe isn't the best example, but it was. Like, the Atlanta game of 2019 was humbling because it was like, we are better than this team. And I think to a certain point, like, we are better than Seattle. I think, maybe not on paper, but as a scheme, I think we are. Like, we are better than Arizona. Not from a skill level perspective, but I think as a complete unit, we are better than them. They're tough, and, like, they're probably going to split games now because guys are hurt. But if we can't generate pressure, like, that is a worry. Because these quarterbacks are going to eat our secondary alive. Despite how good they played today, like... Jimmy Ward, Jaquiski Tart, played phenomenal today. A lot of pass breakups. They were all over the field. They were tackling left and right. Like they were making like a great duo safety play on the field. Like that's how good they were. Again, Lenore, Norman, they were playing great. Kayon Williams, the Shark, playing great. Warner playing great. Like there was there was great defensive play all over the field. But if we can't get pressure within like if our defensive line can't generate pressure and contain the quarterback, we are then putting extra pressure, giving putting extra pressure on our secondary, including those weaker end cornerbacks. And and if and if they can continue the success, it's great. But it more comes down to like I am putting more money on DK Metcalf to have a big game than Norman and Lenore to keep up their pace. I'm putting more money on DeAndre Hopkins to have two touchdowns than Lenore to continue to give up, like, two catches each game. Like, it, it's just not... Like, I'm hoping it's sustainable, but our defensive line is going to have to step up in the containment and pressure category to continue that. To continue to aid young and maybe past their prime cornerbacks. Like, you can't rely on Lenore and Norman all year round. You can't rely on Ward and Tart all year round. It more so Tart than Ward, but... Oh, reverse that, excuse me. More than Ward than Tart, but... Like, the pressure has to step up, especially against guys like Seattle and Arizona. And again, I don't want to overshadow how great the defense was. And Philadelphia got balled out a couple times. Again, the two PIs, 
uh, the BS uh, calling Ward late in the game. Like, there were some plays, and that goes vice versa. Like, let's move to the offensive side of the ball now, and let's talk about the quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo today. I'll read the stat sheet. You tell me how you feel about it. 22 out of 30 pass attempts to completions, 189 yards, 6.3 yards through the air, one touchdown, a 55.2 QBR, and a 106 quarterback rating. Again, that is a maybe a subpar day. Like, that's not a great quarterbacking day. It's just not. Like, what Jimmy Garoppolo did today goes far beyond the stat sheet, though. And, again, I I do have concerns, and I do want to talk about those things, but I do want to give him credit where it's due. Because 11 carries on the ground, 20 yards, one... Like, Garoppolo is a quarterback-sneaking god, like, 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 what he's been able to do with QB sneaks should not be overlooked. And again, I know it's QB sneak, it's a one yard here, it's a two yard there, like, like whatever. Like, it's not game-defining, or usually isn't. But today, Jimmy Garoppolo had game-defining quarterback sneaks against Philadelphia Eagles. Against a really good interior defensive line. And that is kudos to Alex Mack. Lake and Tomlinson, Daniel Brunskill, who I think had a pretty poor game today, but great job with the QB sneak stuff. Like, those guys deserve kudos too. Trent Williams had a great day today. Like, McGlinchey had a so-so day. Like, I think Niner fans expect the right side of the offensive line to struggle more than the left side. And that's okay. Like, we know what we're getting out of those things. But what Jimmy Garoppolo did today... I think, look, he did struggle early. He just, he did. He had no rhythm. He looked off. He was missing high. Uh, my mind goes back most recently to that Chargers preseason game where he missed Ayuk high, was picked off. Like, he just, he didn't seem comfortable in the pocket. He seemed a little riled up uh, for whatever reason it was. He just didn't seem like he had command of the offense. More so of like he felt pressured, although wasn't always. He missed Sanu on a big third and 11. That was an easy pass to make. That throw needs to be towards the sideline more. Like that is a easy first down to make for a quarterback. Like that's, those are plays you need to make. Like those are plays a starting quarterback in the NFL has to make. He couldn't anybody in stride for the most part of the game. And I noticed, I'm sure you did too, like almost every completion he made in the first quarter, first and a half quarters, first two quarters, was like there were pockets of wide open receivers. And what I mean by that is Devo runs to a spot, hooks and turns around, three guys are around him, but there's a pocket where it's wide open and Devo's just standing there. Like, I know, I'm sure your favorite podcaster, your favorite quarterback critic is going to say, well, I've been saying that all along. And, like, yeah, like, that's true. Like, those things are not ignorable. Like, those are, that's who Garoppolo is. Like, he's going to be able to hit a standing target right in the chest or hit them accurately where he can catch the ball. And he did that. But it was the in-stride plays that cost him early. The things Garoppolo 
struggles with, not as poorly, but does struggle with, like he was struggling extra today. <laughs> and it was noticeable. It doesn't help that Debo Samuel and uh, Kyle Juszczyk dropped two screen passes early. Like Garoppolo is that rhythm quarterback. I talked about it last week. Like once you get Garoppolo in rhythm, different different guy. Like Jimmy Garoppolo in rhythm is a very good starting quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo out of rhythm, subpar quarterback in the NFL. And we saw it today. Like, the Eagles' defense, at least secondary-wise, isn't that great. Like, Darius Slay is pretty good. Other than that, eh. Like, it, it's a bunch of guys, like, like Avante Maddox. Like, I'm happy you're in the, like, the congratulations, you're in the NFL, but, like, you're not a elite-level, top 20, top 25 starting cornerback in the NFL. And Garoppolo couldn't hit anybody to save his life. Unless it was Debo Samuel. <laughs> like, that's... And we'll get into Debo later. But, like, Garoppolo was making dangerous passes. He was, you know, he was not hitting receivers in stride. He was throwing, I don't want to say into coverage, but, like, the Ayuk pass, again, in this game, off his hands. It was high. Like, you're not only are you putting receivers in position to get hurt, but also you're putting the, the ball in the position to get, you know, to get a turnover. And it's going to cost a team, like... Like, there was a genuine worry in me that coming soon, despite me having faith in Garoppolo, despite me liking Jimmy Garoppolo, despite me actively rooting for this man, and the entire offseason asking and wanting him to return this this year to kind of aid the quarterback, the incumbent quarterback, that being Trey Lance, uh, there is a, a fear that there's a game coming up where Garoppolo, for all his good, you know, for all his good quarterback play, for all his strengths, will have a game where he throws two picks, or maybe a pick and a fumble, and it's going to cost us. And it's like those, like you can tell that game is coming. Now, I don't know when. Could probably against Seattle. I'll just say that probably against Seattle, because um, they have a fairly better defense than this year than last year, but like. Garoppolo struggles early here, like, those are going to peak again, and they're going to cost us later. And they may not cost you a game, necessarily, but they definitely could. Like, those are things that Garoppolo needs to work on, and I do think that Detroit game showed that, like, he had been. And because he was so riled up today and wasn't comfortable, those things kind of peaked out again. And, like, let's hope that that can kind of you know, be pushed back down for the Packers game. Sunday Night Football, pressure on you, prime time. That's when Garoppolo kind of shows off a little bit. And I, I think this Sunday is a good, uh, or I guess this coming Sunday against Green Bay, is a good telling point of where he is as a quarterback and how he feels. Um, and, and, and you will see on the first two, three drives how Garoppolo will play that game because he'll probably be, be, be feeling himself somewhat or uh, be a little shaky because like they had to get him easy passes early then he feels himself, then he gets going. And they tried that today. But that's when Debo and Yushek you know, dropped the ball. And it was kind of like, great, like, we can't get into rhythm. Uh, now we have to kind of, like, Garoppolo to a certain degree was forcing stuff. Not, like, dangerously, other than the Ayuk pass, but, like, just, like, pressing too hard, uh, overshooting guys. Like, you could tell there was some of, like, I have to make this pass. Like, no one is helping me. I have to make this pass. And it kind of felt similar to the Dolphins game, only because like it felt like Garoppolo was a little antsy, didn't feel comfortable. And I think I, 
I I get that game had a, a little you know other things going on with the injury and stuff, but like it felt that way. But what Garoppolo was able to do, and this is the positive here, the first quarter against Philadelphia, three for seven, 19 yards, not good. Like bluntly, I mean you can agree that's not a good game. Again, a lot of context in there, drop passes, some pressures, like there things matter, but again, not good. Some passes he needed to hit. Hit Ayuk, hit Sanu. The first quarter looked a lot different. But the rest of the game, and, like, that first quarter, and one thing I love about Garoppolo is he can get the third down conversion. He can move the ball efficiently. They had no first downs in the first quarter. That's the first time since week 10 of 2016 they didn't have a first down in the first quarter of a game. Like, that's like that shows you how bad the first quarter actually was against Philadelphia. Like, they got a first down against Washington in the Mud Bowl in 2019. Like, they got a first down against the Dolphins when you know, all hell broke loose at home last year. Like, they got a first down in the first quarter against the Cardinals Week One when it was Dante Pettis and Trent Taylor. Like, what happened in the first quarter today doesn't happen often, <laughs> and. The progression Garoppolo took from that first quarter to the rest of the game, I think, needs to be kind of pinpointed. So again, first quarter, 3-7, 19 yards, not good. The rest of the game, Jimmy Garoppolo was 19 for 23. He had two 90-plus yard touchdown drives. He had one touchdown pass to Jawan Jennings. Again, congrats, your first NFL touchdown pass. So congratulations. Um, and then he had a Quarterbacks need to kind of ice the game. That is what you call veteran quarterback play. That's what you say and go, look, like, and I talked about it last week, that the Niners, at a certain point in this game, the whole week, the injuries, the Ayuk stuff, the Trey Sermon stuff, they were, like, probably going to be down early in this game. They were going to need someone to kind of calm that storm. They were going to need someone to kind of come in. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like, who can help us find that yellow brick road and get us back on the path? And I said that was going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, did he contribute to some of the chaos? Yeah. Did Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz contribute to some of the stupidity and chaos they got on? Yeah. But what happens is, is that they have people come along. They have Debo Samuel. They have the Scarecrow. They have the, the Tin Man. Like, despite maybe their inadequacies, <laughs> they can come along and aid you. And Garoppolo had Debo today, big time. And he had Sherfield for a great catch today. Like, he got hammered, great catch, came along, clutch, clutch catch, clutch, clutch first down. And Garoppolo got this team back on track. And that started... Ending of the first half. Like, I think most Niner fans are sitting there like, we're really going to go into the half down 3 nothing against the Philadelphia Eagles. Against a team who, because Niner fans like mocked and put Niner things on the Rocky Balboa statue, who is a fake freaking sports icon, which I love Rocky, but it's a movie. <laughs> and... They're like, oh, you you woke in the beast. And, like, we're thinking, like, did, like are we going to go down 3 nothing in halftime? Like, if you thought last week 
I said the word inexcusable too much, like you would have gotten a lot this week. Um, but Garoppolo calmed himself down, got his groove back, hit Debo for a big slant route, hit him in stride between two defenders, the best throw of the game by far. 12 plays, 97 yards, Jawan Jennings touchdown, took 3 minutes and 16 seconds, like phenomenal drive. And you go into halftime, and you're up 7-3, and Alex Mack talked about this in his postgame presser, he goes, look, like, that was a big drive for us. Like, of course, like, there are things we could have worked on, there's things that we could have done better, like, no doubt. Like, you never want to go into halftime only up by 4, especially when it's 7-3. to But, like, that was a big drive for us. Like, for us to kind of settle down, get our bearings, and, and move the ball efficiently down the field, like, starting on our own 3-yard line, and forcefully and willfully pushing the ball down the field, led by Jimmy Garoppolo, like, that, that's great stuff. And it shows, like, that stuff matters to a team. Like, that can't be overlooked. The next drive, that was 90-plus yards. 17 plays, 91 yards, 8 minutes and 59 seconds. 9 minutes long drive. Ends in a quarterback sneak for a touchdown. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo took nearly an entire quarter off the clock in one drive. Like, I'm not saying other guys can't do that. What I'm saying is, that's impressive. Like, I told you before the season started why I thought Garoppolo should be the quarterback in preseason. While it may not be flashy, may not be exciting, it may be somewhat meticulous, Garoppolo moves the ball down the field. He comes in clutch when it matters most, outside of one game. What did he do today? Struggled somewhat. Wasn't good. Came back when it mattered most to end the first half. Got you a touchdown. Took nine minutes off the clock and got you another touchdown to, at that point, but give you, trying to think at the time, give you a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. Like, those things matter. Like, th- like, those are things that a veteran quarterback can do. And it was the first time the Niners had two touchdown drives that began on the, their own 10-yard line that went for a touchdown since December 6th, 1992. Pre-Garoppolo. Pre-Kaepernick. Pre-Smith. Pre-Garcia. Like, you're, you're looking at Steve Smith. Or not Steve Smith, jeez. Steve Young. Like, Montana era. Like, like you're looking at Dynasty era Niners. <laughs> Is the last time that's happened. Like, the, that's something to be proud of. And, and look at and go, look, like... Like, Garoppolo looked good. Like, despite the struggles early, he bounced back big time. He was mobile in the pocket. He was shifty. He was elusive. Like, there were plenty of times where the offensive line broke down. He evaded the pocket. No one's open. No one's getting space. And he found two to three yards and got you a first down. Or made that third down play easier for you. And, like, despite, again, despite all the struggles, like, Garoppolo proved his worth today. And... Like, again, there were struggles. Like, Garoppolo today averaged 3.8 air yards. That's not good. Like, that's that's one of the bigger... Like, that's the lowest of his entire career. Like, that's one of the bigger complaints of him, right? Like, he's not pushing the ball down the field. He couldn't, he, he couldn't do that against Philadelphia. And Shanahan mentioned, like, the scheme really wasn't to push the ball down the field. So, like, some of that is schemed based, and some of that is just Garoppolo. 
But go to last week against the Lions. Garoppolo had six and a half air yards per attempt. Like, he was 19-23 of, you know, with balls under 10 yards. He was 3-7 on for, yard, for throws over 11 yards. Like, Garoppolo was a much better quarterback week one. You can all agree there. And I think that is something that we need to look at. Like, I broke down the Garoppolo struggling early. I broke down the bounce back. But I want to kind of break down the outlook now. Because... The one thing that does, I don't want to say concerns me, but when you're comparing teams like Seattle, the Colts, the Cardinals, the playoff teams, like you're not going to be able to dink and dunk and screen your way to a victory. Like look at what Seattle's Seattle's doing. Look at what the Cardinals are doing. Look at what the Rams are doing. And I get we aren't those teams. We don't have their personnel. We don't have their skill players. And I think this does play a part in it. Like, Ayuk isn't playing. First round pick and can't play yet, really. That's not good. Kittle isn't as involved in much as he should be. And I do want to get into that a little later. But, like, we can't, like the Niners can't keep dinking and dunking their way. And this was a bigger complaint of Garoppolo in 2019 and 2020. And why people said we need to move off of him was guys are going to sit in the box. They're going to put eight in the box, seven in the box, and just sit there and say, we are going to eat up the middle of the field and make you beat us on the outside. And we have yet to see Garoppolo be tested that way yet. And today was somewhat of that. And I think we saw some of those same struggles kind of creep up. So this is something we are going to have to look out for. Because if if it continues, and Lance ain't ready yet, or Shanahan doesn't feel he's ready to play 10, 15, 20 snaps a game, like the Niners could be in some trouble. Like m- my hope of 12 and five is out the window. My hope is now more so 10 and six, 10 and seven, nine and eight. You know, like nine and eight to 11 and six is kind of where I'm at right now, and. That's only because of injury, but also because of what I'm seeing on offense now, and uh, the concerns they have in, in in the defense, in the pass rush, and and, and the secondary. But like it, this isn't going to cut it, and and this does come down to play calling. Like th- this does come down to opening up the play the, the playbook. And again, like these are things that have been consistent complaints of the Shanahan and Garoppolo tandem of whether it's Garoppolo, whether it's Shanahan. Whether it's a trust issue, like there, there seems to be some sort of like we're not going to push the ball down the field. I don't know if that is a skill-based thing for Garoppolo. I think to a certain point it is. I'm not sure to what point Shanahan thinks he doesn't trust Garoppolo because if he didn't trust Garoppolo, he he wouldn't be starting now. He would he would have been traded, and there'd be somebody else in there. But. Like, Garoppolo won the game for us today on top of the defense and Debo having a great... Like, like I want to I ask you an honest question. And, and let's look at Trey Lance here. The question was, why didn't he play? People on Twitter are saying, like, look, like, putting Garoppolo, he's struggling. Why isn't Trey Lance playing? 
And I want to ask, does Trey Lance playing, if he did play, does he win you that game against Philadelphia? Could Trey Lance bounce back from a struggle, tighten things back up as a rookie, making his NFL debut, coming off a thumb injury, seems to be healthy. I I expected him to play more. Not no snaps at all. Like I thought we'd see him a little more. And I don't have a theory as to why we didn't see him. I it's a question I have too. But I would say I do think Lance could win you that game against Philadelphia, but I also think there's a higher chance he is the reason you lose that game against Philadelphia. Well, Garoppolo might stay in the scheme. He might uh, have that kind of veteran presence nuance to keep you in that game. Make the smart play, not the big play. And I know the criticisms that come with that, but I think despite the worry I have of the dink and dunk screen stuff we do and the playbook not being opened up and, and the gripe I have with Shanahan with that, Garoppolo did play a big part in winning that game today, and I don't think Lance, despite having the ability and potential to do so, I don't know if he keeps you in that game or doesn't take a shot late or the the rookie jitters. Look at today. Zach Wilson threw four interceptions. Mac Jones threw a pick. Justin Fields threw a pick. They didn't play well. Mac Jones had the best game out of those guys. It still wasn't a great game. Like, Garoppolo didn't play a great game. But he did what was necessary to win. I don't think Lance, because of the rookie status, because of the inexperience, I don't think Lance, despite having the potential to, necessarily does what is necessary to win there. He might take a shot. He may not see a DB over the middle or on the outside. He might try to run the ball and fumble. Like Those are a bunch of what-ifs, but I do think what we've seen from him so far is the unreadiness of him to play. And I think in a game like this, you need this win. Coming off an injury and kind of drama-filled week, you needed that calming of the storm. That was Jimmy Garoppolo. And he didn't have any help. The running backs today, in the first half, 12 yards a carry, 24 yards, 2 yards on the ground. Second half today, much better, not great though, 26 yards, 26 carries, excuse me, 93 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. Again, an improvement, almost gaining two full yards more, but Elijah Mitchell, 17 carries, 42 yards, 2.5 yards per carry. Not good. Jermichael Hasty was the best running back per average, uh, besides Trey Sermon, who, like, man... Do it really bad for that kid. <laughs> um, but Hasty, five yards, or five carries, thirty-eight yards, seven and seven point six yards per average. Not bad. But then the fumble problem came back up. Fumbled in a clutch moment. Shanahan's gonna hate that. Now he's hurt. He has an ankle injury. We'll hear more about that in in the next, this next week. Sermon, like we're seeing Trey Sermon for the first time. We get our first taste of Sermon Sundays, and his first carry after having an injury in training camp after kind of being bench and inactive last week. His first carry is a fumble, but it's called back because he got, like, he exploded past the offensive line, gained you a first down, then, like, kind of gets tripped up and then gets, like, man, like, 
helmet to helmet, back of the, you know, the helmet to the back of the helmet. Like, it was just an ugly tackle. You can hear it from the TV broadcast. It's like, I, I thought he broke his collarbone or he broke his neck. And, like, that could be career-threatening if it's a neck thing. And thankfully, from what we've heard, it's not, it's a concussion thing. Like, he is lucky, and, and, and we're lucky, but mostly him, that he's not going to be out for the year. Like, was on the ground for forever. Again, I hope he's okay. Like, the amount of unluckiness that goes into that is incredible. But again, Sermon didn't help. Hasey didn't help. Mitchell didn't help. Like, Garoppolo was pretty much out there on his own. Other than Debo Samuel. And good offensive line play today. Against Philadelphia. And uh, so, again... I do work at 95.7 the game. I do run the board and help produce the overtime show with Bonte and Chasky on Niner Sundays. And a caller called in. I don't remember his name. He mentioned this. Though. He goes, when Mostert went down in, in Detroit, uh, the Niners team lost their explosion, their explosiveness. And I think we saw that today. Like, last week, we didn't see it so much because Mitchell stepped up big time in that role and kind of in that spot for us. And Debo had that huge game. But even despite Debo having another big game here, like, there was no explosion. There was no help. There was no Tyreek Hill. There was no DeAndre Hopkins. There was no Christian McCaffrey out there. And I'm not saying you need those type of players, like that status of like elite level guy to be explosive, but like there was no Tariq Cohen. Like there was no kind of guy you can put out there who can just come in and, and be a spark. The Niners didn't have that spark today. And it was a boring, methodical offense that got a win. They beat down their opponent. With run after run after run, whether it was a quarterback or the running back, they just beat him down till that team couldn't hold up any longer. And that's kind of what the win was today. It was a boring, methodical, beat you down until you can't go anymore type of win. But again, that kind of goes back into the scheme and Mostert not having the explosion on offense anymore. There's no options left. And again, despite Debo having a good game, Debo Samuel, again, 6 catches, 93 yards, 15.5 yards per catch. He had 8 targets today. Having a great year. Debo Samuel threw 2 games, 15 catches, 286 yards. He's accounted for 56% of the passing offense. Like, that is incredible. Like, like what Debo's doing for the offense is what you want out of a second-round pick. But Sherfield didn't do much outside of one catch. He literally had one catch today on three targets. Sanu didn't do much today. His biggest play was getting the offensive pass interference or defense pass mirrors in the end zone to set up a score. Like he he's not doing much for the offense. And that again isn't always the receiver's fault. It isn't always the quarterback's fault. Like, Juwan Jennings was the only receiver outside of Debo to really do much today, and he caught he caught two passes, for, and he had one touchdown. Like, when Juwan Jennings, who I like him, but 
not to a point of him being my receiver number two, <laughs> is doing more than Brandon Ayuk, the guy that you have kind of deemed the next big thing in regards to the receiver position because you picked him in the first round, traded up for him in the in the first round, and he's relegated to punts, and he's only targeted two times. And again, one of those on Garoppolo, high throw, on Jimmy G. But then had a great catch on a third and three, and, and maybe that's a play that kind of gets him back involved in the offense because they're going to need him. And I, I want to bring this, this Mostert not having an explosion thing kind of into the picture here and kind of wrap it all together because what Debo's doing is great. Like, no one is looking at Debo and saying, don't do that. <laughs> and if you are, um, shut up. Because you're wrong. <laughs> um, but, like, what Sherfield is doing, and I'm not expecting Sherfield to be this elite level guy. Like, he needs to be a valuable number three guy. Like, he needs to catch big catches. He needs to add an element of vertical to the offense. This probably isn't the word, but I'll say it anyways. Verticality, if that's actually a word. Um, and they need to get Ayuk back in the offense. Like, I don't know what he did. I speculated to a certain point it was the drops. Maybe there was some, uh, maybe there was some elite mentality in it. Like I'm, I'm a first round pick. I don't have to try as hard. I don't know. But whatever it was, whatever the beef seems to be, whatever the issue seems to be as to why he isn't involved in the offense, like it's, it is going to hinder them because they don't have Mostert. They don't have that explosion. And I don't know what is going on with George Kittle. George Kittle has eight targets in two games. He's averaging four targets a game. That's not enough. Not even close. Kittle against Philadelphia. Four catches, 17 yards, four and a half yards, pretty much through the air. Eight yards was his longest play. And I get chippy game, physical game, methodical, kind of a nasty kind of game. And he caught the ball when it was thrown his way. But there needs to be, like, plays designed for him. There was a stat I read before the season started when I had Raj from RSF Diners on. And we talked about how they needed to get Kittle involved in the offense more. And it was, Kittle has only one season of 115 targets or more. That being 2018. His career high is five touchdowns. Now, that in itself isn't drastically awful. But when you compare it to Travis Kelsey, who, and I get different quarterbacks, different systems, uh, different scheme, like a different version of NFL football than what the Niners play. But Kelsey has averaged 115 targets and up five of his seven seasons and he's he has hit five TDs or more like the last four years like and I get they have Mahomes and they had Alex Smith but like Darren Waller with Derek Carr had like 19 targets in week one and on a team like San Francisco when you are missing that explosive running back, that explosive piece to the offense, you have to compensate somewhere. You have to overcompensate somewhere. 
And if that means targeting George Kittle 20 times a game, so be it. You are paying him the third highest salary of any tight end in the NFL. You'd need to target him like he is the third highest tight end in the NFL. You don't have Mostert. Ayuk, pretty much non-existent. Sherfield is a number three receiver at best right now, being forced to play receiver number two because Ayuk is non-existent. Muhammad Sanu has passed his prime in a somewhat valuable veteran piece, but is receiver number four on this team. And maybe if Jalen Hurd comes back, or if most are playing, he's receiver number five. But where is Ross Dwelly? He ain't caught a pass all year. And George Kittle, he's your best offensive weapon per every single media pundit, every single roster breakdown person in the NFL, every single scout, every single NFL head coach will say, who is the one player you target on that offense? They will circle George Kittle. They will put an X by him. They will send his picture to every single defensive player to say, you got to guard this guy. You got to make sure this guy doesn't do anything. And if you want to say, well, he's double covered a lot, that's fine. Like, yeah, he should be. But we're supposed to have this offensive genius as a head coach, and I like Kyle Shanahan. But the fact that we're not scheming plays for our best offensive weapon, like, I understand that might not be the brand of football Kyle Shanahan wants to play, but I can guarantee you he was scheming plays for Julio Jones in Atlanta. Like, I guarantee you, you know, Mariucci was scheming plays for Terrell Owens, and Walsh was scheming plays for Jerry Rice, and, you know, the, the Vikings were scheming plays for Randy Moss and Chris Carter, and Belichick and McDaniels were scheming plays for Moss and Welker, in, in New England. So, why won't Kyle Shanahan scheme plays for George Kittle? Like, why wouldn't you want to optimize and utilize your most important, most valuable, and your best offensive weapon on the roster? Especially in a time where your defense, to a certain degree, is kind of reeling due to injury, and your offense lost its most explosive weapon. Like, Ayuk and Kittle have 10 total targets all year. And Ayuk only has two targets all season, both of them coming against Philadelphia. Because he didn't get any against Detroit. Like, I like Kyle Shanahan. Something's up. And I don't, like, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you know, like, he's on his way out. Like, what I mean is, like, this is something that needs to be addressed. And I get I don't see everything he does. I don't I'm not in the skybox. I'm not an offensive coordinator. I'm not a NFL head coach. But I know what George Kittle's capable of. I saw him do it with Nick Frickin' Mullins. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a far better quarterback than Nick Mullins. And I think myself, amongst many others, would agree that once Trey Lance gets to play, things will change. But 
if Kyle Shanahan trusts Jimmy Garoppolo, and if you want to argue he doesn't, I will kind of snap back and say, if you don't think Kyle Shanahan trusts Jimmy Garoppolo, at least this season, to hold this offense together, um, look no more than him keeping him in against Philadelphia in arguably his worst offensive quarter ever. Like, that's a confidence boost to a quarterback that we have a guy we traded up three first-round picks for. We really don't want you here past this year. And half the fan base doesn't want you here because they want to see the new thing. They want to see the new kid. Um, Go back out there and win me this football game. That's trust. That's confidence. Now, that could be because he asked to because Lance ain't ready yet, but I do think that there is a confidence boost there, that Shanahan does trust Garoppolo more this year, maybe because need, but he does, and that is what it is. But if you trust him that much, then why not trust him or develop plays to get that Kittle and Garoppolo connection going? Like, I remember 2019 against Green Bay, the Kittle to Garoppolo connection was a pretty darn good one. Like, there's no excuse as to why we can't see that every game. And, I, and I, look, I'm not saying, you know, 15 targets and 120 yards a game. God, no. That's not how the NFL works. Like, this game was a stinker. That happens. Especially in a 17-game, 18-week season. But if Darren Waller can put up big numbers with a, I don't know, a similar quarterback, if Julian Thomas can put up big numbers with a, you know, pretty much dead arm Peyton Manning in Denver. If Vernon Davis can put up big numbers with Alex Smith, like, I hate to use the word, but like, it's kind of inexcusable. Like, George Kittle needs to be an integral part of the offense because not only because he's a great player, can do so much for the offense, because this team needs him to. The Niners will lose against Seattle if Kittle is not involved in the offense. Especially if Ayuk and Sherfield and Sanu continue to be non-factors. And especially if the running game is, again, hurt and just they don't have anybody. Like, I'm sure they're about two minutes from calling up Marshawn Lentz off the bar rescue episode to come out there and run them five plays. Like, do we need to call overweight Eddie Lacy to come out here and run plays now? Or do you want to get George Kittle involved in the offense? Like, that's kind of where we're at. Like, we are in a certain point, despite being 2-0, there is somewhat of desperation here. And that starts with, to me, getting Kittle more involved in the offense. Because it opens up so many things for you. And right now we're playing a waiting game. And... If Shanahan keeps waiting, there ain't going to be much to look forward to. Because you you will lose to Seattle. You will lose to Indianapolis. You will lose to the Rams. You will lose to the Cardinals. And we could be sitting there 9-8. and eight. And I get a tweak too. I don't want to overreact, but I just want to be honest with you that the Niners are 2-0, and oh, but... Ain't a pretty 2-0. There's good, there's bad, and there's concerns. And right now we're just playing a waiting game.
And we will see come week three. Green Bay got the cheese heads. Sunday Night Football. It's going to be fun. Like, Levi Stadium full capacity for the first time in over a year. It's going to be packed. It's going to be awesome. I won't be there, but it'll be awesome. Like, we're going to have... It just... Oh, I cannot wait to watch that game. Feel the atmosphere. Talk to my friends who are there and go, like, let's light the NFL on fire again. And... I would love to see Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle touchdowns in week three. Like, wouldn't that be kind of a nice, like, hey, like, we're 2-0, but, like, things kind of seem kind of, you know, gloomy. Let's get these guys involved. And let's kind of remake and kind of retool the offense and kind of say, hey, look, like, we're here to stay. Like, 2-0 ain't pretty, but now we're 3-0 and we just knocked off Aaron Rodgers again. Like, it's a pretty good thing. And, again, there are injuries, Elijah Mitchell, Michael Hasty, Trey Sermon, uh, Kevin Givens. We'll see if Emmanuel Mosley can play. And I hate to do this, but if you want to know if they're going to play, you're going to want to follow us on social media. Instagram at 49ers.access. Twitter, 49ers underscore access. You can find every single 49er update on there, either on the Instagram story, the feed, the Twitter post, you are not going to want to miss a thing, and you will not miss a thing if you do follow us on social media. And also, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review on the podcast. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your buddies, tell and share with the 49er faithful out there. With the red and gold, share it with them. Tell them there is a podcast you love. A podcast host that is maybe handsome. Maybe he's a cool guy. Maybe he has uh, some really good insight that you like. And if you don't agree, that's fine. But we like to have fun here. We like to be honest and open. DM me on Instagram. DM me on Twitter. Let's have a conversation about the San Francisco 49ers. Are you concerned about this team going forward? Are there concerns you have? Is there hope you have? Do you believe in Jimmy Garoppolo still? Do you think George Kittle needs to get involved in the offense more? DM me on Twitter and Instagram again. Instagram, 49ers.access. Twitter, 49ers underscore access. Don't forget to subscribe, share, like, leave a review. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett. The Niners play the Packers week three Sunday night football. Stay tuned later this week for a podcast previewing that game. And until next time, until those cheese heads are on the floor, hopefully graded, my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast, and stay faithful. Stay faithful.